Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah today as we turn in a new direction. Nehemiah is an Old Testament book uh, about a third or so of the way through uh, the Two Testament Bible, uh, the book of Nehemiah. And the particular story to which we're going to turn now uh, is a story that I think has some parallels with David and Shannon's story. Uh, you see, neither, neither story is really about the people. Both are about God's glory being made known among his People, both the Browns and Mr. Nehemiah are concerned for the glory of their, their God. In, in other words, they want God to be made known and they want God himself to be magnified. And so as we prepare to, to read from the scriptures this morning, let me pose a question to you. Do you want God to be magnified? Do you want the Lord God Almighty, the God who redeems, the God who saves, the God who has saved you, do you want Him to be magnified and to be made known? See, I'm convinced that if we know Him, if we know Him, if we know this God, we too will want Him to be made known and to be magnified. And so let's lean into this story and let's see how God works in the midst of it. Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, let me invite you as is our, our common practice here. Would you join me standing, all who are able, for the reading of God's, of God's holy word. Nehemiah chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 through 11. The Bible reads this way, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today 
by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cut bare to the king. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you'd guide us now as we consider your word. Speak to us. Speak to us clearly for the glory of your name, the good of your church, the growth of your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, like like the Browns, like David and Shannon, Nehemiah is living in one place, uh, but his heart's in another. Uh, he, he's in Persia. That's the setting. And life is good. It's good, at least for him. He's a foreigner there, but he serves in the king's palace. He's trusted by the king as the king's cupbearer, meaning... For safety measures, everything that's going to go in the mouth of the king first has to come into his mouth. King Artaxerxes, that is. You may remember that about 500 years after the Israelites who've been rescued from slavery in in Egypt enter into the promised land, about 500 years after they enter that land, uh, the kingdom splits, the nation splits between Israel in the north and Judah in the south. That split was in 931 B.C. Well, fast forward with me quickly. About two centuries later, the Assyrians are the dominant world power and they attack and defeat the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. While Judah, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is, remains intact until the Babylonians, next dominant world power, invade and destroy Jerusalem and the temple in 586 B.C., killing many Jews and carrying many others into exile. And now we fast forward again to the year 539 B.C. and Babylon falls to the next great power, to the Persians. The Bible says that God's spirit moves, stirs the king of Persia, Cyrus, to let Jewish exiles return to Jerusalem and rebuild the Lord's temple there that was destroyed by the Babylonians. Well, now, as we enter into this story, it's 445 B.C. And even though this guy Nehemiah is in a foreign land, he's concerned about what's happening in Jerusalem. He's serving a pagan king, but he's, he's serving the, the king of all kings because he knows the Lord. He knows The Lord, and he loves the Lord, and he is zealous for God's glory. He wants God's name to be known, and he wants God's will to be done. Christian, let me ask you this morning, are you you zealous for God's glory? Are you zealous for the glory of God? Do you desire God's name and character and reputation to be known and magnified by the peoples of the world? God calls his people to be zealous For his glory. God calls his people, those who know him, to be zealous for his glory. Do you long for the Lord to be known? Do you long for him to be known in your own heart? In your church? In this community? And to the ends of the earth? Meadowbrook, may we be zealous for God's glory. May we long for him to be known. May we want God's name and his character to be known and his will to be done. You see, Nehemiah is zealous for God's glory because he knows the glory of God. He knows God. He knows God. Nehemiah knows God and he's walking by faith 
in God, wanting his fellow Jews, fellow Israelites, to know God and to worship God. See, those who know the Lord care about the welfare of God's people and the glory of his name. Those who know him, those who know the Lord, care about the welfare of his people and the glory of his name. Nehemiah is in Susa. That's what the text says, about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf, the winter residence of Persian kings. And while serving there as the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah welcomes some visitors from his homeland, fellow Jews coming from Jerusalem. He says in verse 2, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Imagine maybe a holiday gathering, a Christmas gathering with some extended relatives that you haven't seen in quite some time. Who knows why you haven't seen them. Maybe you've just not had an occasion to see them for some time. You haven't seen them or caught up with them for quite some time. And so you gather and there's some that aren't there. And so you ask about uh, great aunt Susie and uncle Tom and cousin Betsy and the others living just down the road from where you grew up. You wonder how your people are doing. What's new? And how they're getting along. So it is with Nehemiah, except that the people about whom he's inquiring are God's people, his chosen people. And the place about which he asks is God's place, his chosen place, the place God chose to dwell among his people. Nehemiah knows this, he's fully aware of this. You see, he's, he's familiar with Jeremiah's prophecies about a return from exile one day. He's familiar with Ezekiel's preaching concerning restored worship at the temple. He believes his God is faithful. And so he asks how the remnant, the exiles who've now returned to Jerusalem, he, he asks how they're faring. But the answer is not what he's hoping for. You see, the Jews back home are troubled. The city's walls are broken down, leaving the people and the place vulnerable, susceptible to further intrusions and attacks. Verse 4, Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He knows it's been nearly 100 years since Cyrus, stirred by God, allows these exiles, many of them, tens of thousands of them, to return back to Jerusalem in their homeland and to rebuild the temple. He knows it's been quite some time, and so he asks how they're doing. They're not doing well. And so he weeps. He says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of, of heaven. You see, this, this man cares about God's glory. And he cares about the welfare of God's people. And so he begins to lament. To lament this prolonged disruption to the fulfillment of God's plans and the establishment of God's kingdom. Likewise, church, I think there ought to be a sense in which we too, as those who know this God, lament the lack of God's glory made known among the nations. May we be a people who cry out for God to make His glory known among the nations, among the peoples of the world. You see, when earthly sorrows overshadow the Lord's plans... Faithful servants turn to God in earnest prayer. 
and earthly sorrows overshadow the Lord's plans, faithful servants turn to God in, in earnest prayer. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's brokenhearted over Israel's failure to experience fellowship with her God. And so he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. And I think the text is clear. Nehemiah's words are clear. He does so again and again and Again, how do we know this? Well, he hears the report from his brother in the month of Kislev, verse 1, which was the November-December time frame of the year. And he cries out to God until the month of Nisan, chapter 2, verse 1, which was the March-April time of year, some four months later. Like Presumably, Nehemiah's regular rhythm becomes that of constant prayer for more than 100 days. He cries out and up, waiting on the Lord to act on behalf of his people. His friends join him in praying, verse 11, together waiting on God to act. What a reminder for us that God's timing rarely aligns with our own. Like Even when we're praying in accordance with his will, in accordance with his word, in accordance with his character, he may well keep us waiting for longer than we'd hoped. And perhaps you're in the waiting today. Maybe you're in a season, a period of waiting in your own life, crying out to God for help, crying out to God for direction, crying out for God to be a, a refuge and a strength, an ever-present help in times of, of trouble. Perhaps you're crying out to the Lord. Let me encourage you. Let me plead with you based upon the word of God, the witness of faithful servants in it to keep crying out to the Lord, to keep trusting him, to keep walking by faith in him, to keep believing that he is faithful to his promises and that he cares deeply for you. I recently went to see the doctor for some some pain, Dr. Ortega, one of our own doctors here in Meadowbrook family, and was uh, sent to do some PT for a few weeks to see if that helped. A couple times a week doing PT. Many of you have done PT. I think this is my first go at uh, PT. And so I'm, I'm gathering uh, a couple times a week. I'm being instructed. PT is kind of nice. It's like personal trainer. Somebody telling you what to do and how many times to do it and for how long uh, to do to do it, and we need that instruction. And that first meeting just a couple weeks ago, uh, the therapist told me, you know, ideally you would do this every day on your own in between sessions. And so I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But you know how difficult it is to follow through on that? Maybe it's just me. I catch myself wondering, like, do, do I really believe this is helping? Like, do I really believe this enough. I mean, it's all about persistence and repetition. Do I really believe this is significant enough and this is going to help me enough to, to follow through on, on this? Church, likewise, in the midst of sorrow, may we be a people who are persistent. Persistent in, in prayer. Persistent in crying out to God because we believe, we indeed believe that He is our refuge and strength. 
that he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. We, we remember that our Savior is trustworthy and that he's working. He's working for our good and he desires to be known and deserves to be praised. You see, Nehemiah is not a perfect man. That's not what this is about. But he's a man who knows the Lord. And because he knows the Lord, he's zealous for God's glory. He's crying out to the God of glory. And his prayer, I think, provides us a model for how we're to cry out to God in the midst of sorrows. And so what does he do? Nehemiah turns to the Lord first with praise and adoration. With praise and adoration. He begins with praise. Acknowledging what he knows to be true about God. Verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. God, that's who you are. Before ever petitioning the Lord, he praises the Lord because he knows God. Do you know the God to whom we pray? He's great and he's awesome and yet he's Yahweh. He's he's the Lord. The God who enters into covenant relationship with his people, a covenant to which he is loyal, always regarding his people with hesed, meaning steadfast love, faithful love, covenant love, unfailing love. Like Nehemiah, may we be a people who cry out to God with praise and adoration in humble confession. In humble confession. See, those who know the Lord praise Him. They they tell Him who He is. They declare His greatness, His character, His attributes. And then, as we see here, they, they tell Him who they are. In light of who He is. Nehemiah knows He's a servant of the Lord. He says, let your ear be attentive, God, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see, knowing it was Israel's sin that caused Jerusalem's destruction, Nehemiah confesses it, including the sins of his own heart. He knows the heart of God, which is why he is zealous for God's glory. Do you know the heart of God? His heart to forgive sinners. His heart, his desire to cleanse the unrighteous. His desire to restore what's been broken. Do you know the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? That's who he is. That's what he Desires to do. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, the kind of persistent prayer fitting for those who know the Lord is full of praise and adoration and humble confession. While expressing gratitude for what God has done. Gratitude or thanksgiving for what God has done. The God of glory is a God who acts, who does things who acts in history, who has acted and is acting and who will continue to act. So let's remember what he's done. Let's remember 
and acknowledge what this God has done. Because, because Nehemiah knows the Lord. His prayers are saturated with the Lord's words, reminding the Lord of, yes, his promise to scatter his unfaithful people to the nations, verse 8. But also God's promise to gather his repentant people from the nations back to Jerusalem, the place he has chosen as a dwelling for his name. Verse 9. He says in verse 10, he says, they are your servants, God. They're your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. God, you did this. He's saying, God, you, you're the one who redeems. You have redeemed the people. You're the one who rescues slaves, who restores the broken, who comforts the hurting, and who loves all who look to you. Oh, church, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Shared in our newsletter blurb this week, that was the verse that my four-year-old and Miss Jennifer's class memorized for preschool graduation this week. So I was going over it with him. I want to make sure he got it and tested him. And he said it early in the week. I said, give thanks. And he just finished it with a smile. May we be a people who who learn the word, who memorize the word, who meditate on the word, who believe the word, that the word that says that God is good and His love endures forever and ever. Those who know the Lord are zealous for His glory, praying with praise and adoration and humble confession, expressing gratitude for what God has done and finally pleading with pleading for God's help in accordance with His word. Pleading for God's help in accordance with His word. You see, he's deeply troubled. Nehemiah is deeply troubled by the needs of his fellow Jews in Jerusalem. And the subsequent lack of praise that is being offered up to God by his people there. And so he prays, let your ear be attentive, God, and your eyes open to hear your servant. Verse 6, and again in verse 11, of course, the Lord always hears. There's nothing he doesn't hear. But now he's asking God to not only hear, but to act. To act in accordance with his word. By granting a very specific request that he now believes the Spirit of God has put in his own heart. Verse 11. What does he say? He says, give your servant success today. Give your servant, give me success today. What does that look like? By granting him, by granting me favor in the presence of the king. And then he tells us, I was cupbearer to the king. In other words, Nehemiah's been praying, but he's also been planning. This man may be the king of the Persian Empire, but he's still a man. There's another king. A king who redeems, whose kingdom is of far greater interest in the mind and in the heart of Nehemiah, a resident alien in a foreign land. And, oh, church, like Nehemiah, we have reason to look back and to remember the God who redeems. To remember what he has done and also to look ahead and anticipate the not yet fulfilled promises of the God who redeems. But unlike Nehemiah, unlike this Old Testament saint of God who looked back and saw the blood of lambs that was smeared on doorposts as a sign of God's temporary provision. We look back and we see the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ spilled on a wooden cross as a sign of God's permanent Provision and complete deliverance of his people. 
And together with God's people, past, present, and future, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, we do now look up, peeking by faith into what God has previously privileged one of his own to see. A servant named John. John the evangelist. What, what did John see? He tells us in Revelation chapter 5. He says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He saw a lamb that looked like it had been slain, but it was not dead because it was standing at the center of the throne. That is the throne in heaven. He went, this lamb went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He went and took a scroll. I think it's recording consummation, the fulfillment of God's plans in salvation history. John has been lamenting. There's no one who is capable of opening this scroll, but here is one who went and took the scroll. The lamb took the scroll. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, representatives in heaven, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are what? Which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you... Lamb of God, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for people, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh, church, since the perfect lamb has been slain, purchasing people from every nation, tribe, people and language, may we join Moses and Nehemiah May we join Peter and James and John and every other child of God who has gone before us filling the heavenly bowls of incense with prayers to the Almighty. Prayers for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. O Meadowbrook, may we be a people who are zealous for God's glory, crying out for Him to make His glory known. So what does that look like for us in closing? I think that looks like us crying out, yes, for God to be known. But like Nehemiah, seeking the Lord, knowing his will and his word, and praying specifically in light of it. Praying for David and Shannon, because we believe and they believe that God has called them and prepared them to go and to serve Him for this season in another land where there are few believers praying specifically that those doors would be open and that God would work in them and through them in a way for His glory. Praying specifically even for this afternoon as we gather to engage our community. Praying for success. Praying that God would grant us favor in the eyes of those that we encounter. Praying specifically for God's will and His way and His glory to be made known and worked out in the lives of his people. So, oh God, would you do so even now, even today? Father, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you fulfill your plans for your people through us? Father, would you fulfill your plans in our own hearts? Lord, would you draw us near to you? Would you show us your greatness and your grace so that we might in turn praise you And so that we might in turn walk by faith in you. So that we might in turn share the riches of your grace with those that we encounter. And so Lord we pray specifically for our own. Father we pray for for David and for Shannon. We pray for Zach and for Kaylin. Father we pray for for Allison. Father we pray for 
for one another. We pray that you would grant us favor in the eyes of unbelievers so that your name might be praised in them. Lord, be praised now. Hear our praise as we cry out to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.